Welcome back to the Best First Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Walewa. My next guest is a financial planner and member of the Bank on Yourself organization, and also the founder of Financial Asset Protection. He helps real estate investors, business owners, and full-time employees grow safe and predictable wealth regardless of market conditions using financial strategy that has been around for over 160 years. And so uh, Sari started his journey when he was in grad school completing his MBA. He's worked with companies like Allstate, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Cigna HealthSpring, and Humana before founding Financial Asset Protection, a financial services firm that focuses on one sole concept, the bank on yourself concept, also known as infinite banking concept. Welcome, Sari Abraham. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you being here. So let's just jump right into it. If you can just share with us a little bit about your work um, with financial asset protection and your current role there. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. So as you mentioned, I run a company called Financial Asset Protection. It's a, we're a financial services firm. We help clients in all 50 states uh, grow wealth over the future. Um, and uh, a lot of our clients are real estate investors and entrepreneurs. Um, and I started this. I started. I was. I got into this field about six years ago when I was doing my MBA. My background was mostly in the insurance field, and then from insurance, I kind of merged into financial planning because of my passion for money and solving problems. I, I really saw this as kind of like a um, a needed space, you know. Um, and I saw this as, a, as an opportunity to help people grow wealth outside of the stock market and, and in less volatile places. So that's what I do now. I help a lot of real estate investors and um, entrepreneurs grow wealth. I also started a podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. And the, 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 the point of the podcast is, spread, is, is to spread more financial awareness about some strategies and principles that banks use. And, and I appreciate being on the show and hopefully we could dive into whatever it is you want to talk about. We could talk about bank on yourself and entrepreneurship and any other area you'd like to discuss. Thank you for sharing that. I'm really curious about what made you decide, you know, it sounds like you started in the insurance space and then pivoted into financial planning. I'm kind of curious about what your motivation was to to just first to, to get into that direction. Was there a particular thing or a particular set of experiences that pushed you in that direction? Yeah, definitely. So um, while I was working in the insurance field, working with clients um, who uh, I, 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 start, I started to become very comfortable talking to people about money and then vice versa, people started to become very comfortable talking to me about their, about their money. So I saw this as a way of, um, you know, leading to the next step. So I was, you know, kind of this junior associate helping clients with just auto insurance, homeowners, you know, some commercial insurance. And as I started to work my way up, I started to be more comfortable talking to people about money, since it obviously is a very sensitive topic to talk about, but people still talk about it when they feel that they could trust somebody. And I saw that kind of as a connection. I, I started connecting with people. You know, I don't think I'm that smart. I just think I'm very passionate. I like what I do. I enjoy what I'm doing. So it, it kind of clicked really well with clients. And then I wanted to take it to the next level, you know, uh, to get into financial planning. I read the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And that's what kind of opened my eyes to the problems with financial planning. See, uh, in most situations, when people go to a financial planner or a financial advisor, 
Uh, it usually results in investing in stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. That's that's the majority of the time what happens. And, and I see that it's problematic because that's not always a good fit. I'm not saying that investing in the stock market is always problematic. I'm saying that it could be, um, it, it, it's not always a good fit for everybody. So it, it really takes, you know, in financial planning, it really takes, you have to really understand the person and take a, a step back from what your objective is and really focus on their objective. Like really um, ask open-ended questions. The question part of the financial planning process is the most important part. It's also the longest part. It's far greater than the presentation part. So for example, dealing with the client on a typical basis, we have like a 60 to 90 minute financial analysis call. That's just me asking questions, getting to know the client. There's no recommendations or advice during that call. I'm just simply understanding the client. I'm asking questions like, um, um, what does the word retirement mean to you? When do you plan on retirement? What are some sources of expected income in retirement? Uh, well, how do you feel about the stock market? How do you feel about taxes? Do you think taxes are going up or down in the future? How was, what was money like growing up for you? And I'm asking all these questions to get to know the client's financial situation. And then we make a recommendation. So I started to become comfortable with all these things. And, and I think that it's a good match. I'm finally doing something that I feel like, you know, I've always wanted to do. I just didn't know that I just didn't know what it was called. Um, so now I found it and, and I'm glad to be doing it. I've been seeing a lot of positive results dealing with people. Well, I can't imagine that that has to be great, especially with the passion you bring to this world to be able in this work to be able to, mm-hmm. to see those results. It's interesting. The questions that you talk about, um, to me, it's almost like you're a, a coach or a therapist in a sense because <laughs> you're really getting underneath the skin that you're trying to, and in the brain and trying to figure out people's kind of thought process and feelings and and you know projections on on money and all things money. I'm kind of curious about um, is that from the book that you read and some of the training that you've approached, um, or, or what really kind of developed your style of approaching clients like that? Yeah, definitely. It's a good question. Good observation. So I definitely, um, I consider myself more as a financial coach rather than a financial advisor. And the difference is an advisor would simply say, all right, this is the best thing to do. Do, you know, solution A or do solution B. Um, whereas a coach would, you know, would be like, what do you think is, what, what, ha- what is it that you've always wanted to accomplish? It's more open-ended. It's more of the client is in control of their, their solution. I'm just that kind of cheering them on and coaching them throughout the process. And, and, and I do that for two reasons. One, um, because my background in, in entrepreneurship has always been around, I, I realized um, early on in entrepreneurship that I needed a coach. You know, I worked at a company and I was an employee at a company and the uh, manager hired an outside coaching company to help him with sales training. And then that kind of, it worked, it worked very well. And I think that it was because of the, the, the sales training, you know, we, we had exercises. And then after that, I realized, you know, um, what you, what else you could do with that kind of mentoring and that kind of training. So when I became self-employed, the first thing I did was I hired a coach and, and I noticed coaching patterns. And then I started to hire different coaches for different areas, like one coach for more sales and marketing, another coach for more on the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship side, another coaching, another coach for like on the startup business side. So I, I started to have different niches for our different types of coaches. And I saw like a common trend and the common trend was they would ask, you know, what is it that you want to accomplish? Why is it that you want to accomplish that? How are you going to accomplish it? And, and then I started to say, look, I'm going to do, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm going to write it out this way. I'm going to do this so that way this doesn't happen. Or I'm going to do this so that way that happens. And now I'm commanding myself through there. I'm, I'm, I'm commanding myself to take action on certain things. And, I, and then I saw that as the power of coaching. That's one side of it. And the other side of it is because of the way I was trained, you know, uh, bank on yourself and, and infinite banking. It's not so much of a conventional way of, of planning. Um, it takes really a way of understanding the client. And I think that that's another problem in financial services is that there are too many uh, preconceived judgments or, or, or objectives 
with clients. Like for example, a client will make an appointment with a financial advisor and the financial advisor already knows what's, what he or she is going to advise the client on. It's typically going to be stocks, bonds, mutual funds. They, they know that. So whatever the client says, and I'm not bashing financial advisors. There's a lot of them that do wonderful jobs out there. I'm saying that this is one particular problem in the industry overall, generally speaking, is that the ideas and the, and the recommendations are, are already like cookie cutters. They're already like already predetermined. So no matter what the client says, it's going to result in, Okay, let's act, let's allocate you know a thousand dollars in the month in the stock market, or let's do ten thousand dollars a year in the stock market, or something like that. So I saw that as a problem, and I want it to be open ended. I want the client to tell me what it is that they want to do. Excellent. Well, it's interesting. Your approach really suggests the you know many vehicles for building wealth, such as real estate, whole life insurance, mm-hmm. and and more. And you know when it comes to approaching the work that you do, helping people uh, gain their financial security and wealth. It sounds like you do a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these are really interesting things. I've, I've heard one, I have another friend who's also um, leaning into this field as well. And and some of those areas are the same ones. And I'm, I'm kind of curious about why not just the stock market or traditional mm-hmm. retirement plans? Why are these other vehicles pretty powerful ways of, of developing both financial security and future wealth? Yeah, definitely. And you know, with which with each method, there's about 450 financial vehicles or, or instruments that one could use. So for each one, there's pros and cons, just like anything else. There's pros and cons to each one. And then sometimes it could be connected in different ways. Like for example, you could do whole life insurance and then from the cash value of whole life insurance, use that to invest passively in real estate. You know, there's different things that you could do like that and connect them together. So um, in other words, it, it, there's there's a lot more you could do than just a few options. And there's pros and cons to them. Like for example, um, why, why doesn't everybody just invest in the stock market? Plain and simple. Well, there's a couple of issues with that. And number one is volatility. There's risk involved in investing in the stock market. And there's different types of instruments. Like for example, there's a difference in risk levels between a mutual fund and index fund and ETF, or just buying you know individually owned stocks. So there's a, there's a difference of risk level and preference for each one. Um, so, so you really have to understand that. And then another downside to it is the tax implications. So let's say, for example, you have a 401k or IRA that's invested in the stock market. Those are typically pre-tax solutions. So you're deferring taxes this year uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the given year. So let's say you make $100,000 a year, you're putting $10,000 into a 401k, you defer taxes that year. So you bring your tax liability down to $90,000 that year. Uh, the problem with this is now you have to pay taxes in the future, which draws the next question of what, what do we think tax rates will be in the future? I think tax rates will go up based on the um, social security budget, based on Medicare budget, Medicaid, and other federal um, things that are going on as far as budgets are concerned. So uh, tax, I think tax rates will definitely go up. We're already starting to see the upper tax rate go up right now to 39.6% for capital gains and for an ordinary income tax. So we're already starting to see trends right now. So I think that um, there's pros and cons to each method, and you really have to identify each one. And I think that it has to really be open-ended and it has to be like in the best interest of in the client, because think of it this way. What if you go to the doctor's office, right? And as soon as you walk into the doctor's office, the doctor's like, I have the prescription ready for you. It's right here. And, you know, and then you're like, I didn't even tell you what was wrong, you know? Um, the doctor has to ask you questions. They have to diagnose, they have to come up with the conclusion. And then after they come up with the conclusion, they have to recommend something that's relevant to your situation. Do you have any pre-existing conditions? What's your height, weight, other factors. They have to put all these things into consideration before making the recommendation. And the same is true with financial planning. It's no different. You have to really ask open-ended questions, get to know the client's financial situation. And then out of all 450 vehicles, choose the right one, one or two or three or sometimes more and connect them together. That's going to be relevant to the client situation. That's that's just a great 
um, metaphor. I, I appreciate that. I think a lot of people listening can can really connect with that as well. So let's talk about uh, financial failure because for me, my experience with financial failure was really a, a, a psychology issue, right? Which was it was something going on between my brain, and, I, and I'm not necessarily some of the higher wealth investors that may, maybe you work with, but mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of curious about mindset and how you you see mindset and, and psychology impacting people's financial decisions that's a that's an awesome question i think 80 percent. so that's the that's the ratio 80 20 80 percent of becoming financially successful and reaching your financial goals is relevant to uh it's, it's connected to about 80 percent um 80 percent of that is mindset so the majority of it is the way you feel about yourself and the way you perceive the world and the way you perceive your money and what you're able to do is 80% of that is, is finding financial freedom. 20% of that is the work you do, the type of business you own, the clients you have, the degrees or certifications you have, where you're located in the country or the world. That's 20% of it. But 80% of it is your mindset and how you believe and what you believe in. And then to, to kind of elaborate on that is that think of it, let's say, for example, you want to argue. Let's, let's say that that's not true. It's, it's majority the other things that you can't control and not things you can't control. Look at people who win the lottery. You know, most of the time, people who win the lottery end up in a worse financial situation than when than they did before. I think it's like over eighty percent of people who win the lottery end up bankrupt. You know, like five years later, they end up in a worse financial situation because they didn't know how to handle the money. They didn't have the mindset for the money. They didn't know really what to do with it. They just they just became ultra consumers. They went from consumers to ultra consumers, from spenders to ultra spenders, you know? So that was, you know, that's, that's how most people are built because of their mindset, you know, the lack of the training around money and how they perceive money. And the same is true when you look at people who, for example, um, inherit a lot of money or get life insurance, you know, are life insurance beneficiaries and they get a lot of money in a very short period of time. Most people end up in a worse financial situation. You know, even if it's hundreds of millions of dollars, they end up in a worse financial situation. It sounds counterintuitive because you're probably like, oh, no, give me a hundred million dollars right now and I'll be happy. You know, well, 80, more than 80 percent of the time you can re- result in a, in a worse financial situation because of the lack of trading around money. And then, and then flip the entire script over. You have people who are billionaires and multimillionaires who came from nothing, who literally came, who immigrated to this country with you know, $50 in their pockets, who were refugees, who ended up becoming billionaires and multimillionaires in North America. You know? So it's a, again, it's all about the mindset. 80% of it is mindset. And then 20% of it is all the other things that you have little, you have control over, but you have little control over. But the majority of it is the way you, what you know about money, how it works, the mechanics of it, and then how you feel about it. You know, your perception of the world and your perception of money is for sure. That is the majority of it. And that can, that's what successful people focus on. They focus on the 80% of that. They read books, they listen to podcasts, they watch YouTube videos. They learn more about themselves and more about money. You, you really know this world. I mean, that's exactly what pulled me out of that mindset was reading, was reflecting, was podcasts. That's just such an, there's so many resources out there, including you, who can really work with people to help them walk through those issues. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, I remember reading a book that talked about, I think it was, I'll exaggerate the numbers here, but if you can't budget 20,000, you're not going to be able to budget 120,000 because yeah. of mindset. And so you don't have to have all the money. You can start right now with behaviors and practices and small investments Mm-hmm. And if you can start with where you're at right now, you'll find yourself in a better position and a better place down the line to be able to do more and, and to develop more and to gain more. And so I, I appreciate that take. So I would just briefly want to talk a little bit and switch gears about you, like your background. What's your backstory? Where did you grow up? Your kind of family background? 
Can you, whatever mm-hmm. you, you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I grew up in the south and in, in, um, in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, for those of you who are familiar with Chicago, near like the Orland Park area. And um, I, I grew up to an immigrant family. My family's from the Middle East. I was born in the States and grew up, we grew up middle class. We didn't grow up wealthy, didn't grow up in poverty either. We're thankful for that. Uh, but I grew up conscious about money. I grew up, you know, with a saving mindset, kind of almost on the scarcity mindset that money is irreplaceable so that's how i kind of viewed money growing up is that like you know if you spend it it's going to be difficult to recoup it it's going to be difficult to bring it back you know how that immigrant mindset and i think that could be problematic right there's good and there's good and bad in that it's good because you you're you're very you have a tight grip around money but it's also bad because that that prevents you from taking unnecessary risks and it prevents or sorry taking necessary risks it prevents you from typically entrepreneurship a lot of uh uh, a lot of people who grew up in the same area as me and the same way as me through immigrant family from the Middle East didn't really promote entrepreneurship that much. They wanted their kids to get corporate jobs and you know work w high paying w two jobs, go to college, stay on the conventional the American dream route, you know um and the ones who a lot of my friends did become entrepreneurs and at first, their parents didn't really support her. They saw that, you know, as unnecessary hardship. It was like, you know, it was very difficult coming to this country. A lot of our parents are entrepreneurs. So it was very difficult being entrepreneurs. And they wanted us to kind of take the better way, the, the more efficient way. But I don't believe in that. I don't think that, in my opinion, I don't think that um, sticking through the conventional route is always going to help you out. It could in some situations, like if you're a doctor, lawyer, you know, engineer, some situations it can, but in, but also I do promote entrepreneurship. I think that, you know, if it's something that you truly want to do, you know, it's something to go for. And, and I did that, you know, now my family supports me, you know, you know after I did it, but in, in the beginning, they didn't want me to, they, they saw it as unnecessary hardship. Yeah. I can, I can imagine that I, I'm immigrant as well. And, and I can mm-hmm. imagine um, taking the more the safer conventional route, going mm-hmm. and getting an education in particular programs, and having a steady job versus taking the necessary risk to to go out on your own and be an entrepreneur would definitely be something that I can imagine plenty of people who are, are considering entrepreneurship are considering, right? And, and mm-hmm. those who've had similar experiences, I've had other people in the business world who who've had similar experiences of taking that big risk, even though everybody around them was doubting them. I think they have the best. Families have the best intentions in mind. They know what mm-hmm. works, right? Consistent. Yeah. You can make a living. You can do fine for yourself one way. But if you have a passion like you have, then mm-hmm. you have to go. For, you just have to go for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. So, hey, I want to just take a real quick break here, and then we're going to jump into the big question. Yeah. Sari, as you know, this is the Best Worst Thing podcast. First of all, I just want to say um, thank you again for for joining us for for this episode. And, and um, at the end, we'll give a chance for people to, to free to share how people can get a hold of you for your services mm-hmm. and just to follow you. But but um, the big part of this interview is where we, we talk to our guests about a personal or professional setback. And what we want to know is what did you? What was the setback? How did you get through it? And and what did you learn that you'd like to make sure the listeners walk away with? So Sarah Ibrahim, what's your best worst thing? <laughs> uh, best worst thing, let's see. Um, I have I've had a lot as an entrepreneur. I've had a lot. One thing I can think of is before entrepreneurship. Um, it was one of the reasons why I became self-employed at a young age, and that was so I graduated college with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And towards the end of the program, I didn't really see myself doing anything in um, law enforcement or anything in in the criminal justice world. 
I wanted to, I became super, like my last year in college, I became really attracted to business and, and I wanted to kind of have a rewarding career. I wanted to, and play in generic terms, I wanted to make a lot of money. And I, I, I had, I started to do research and I wanted to just finish my bachelor's degree. I didn't want to change, change it then. So I, I continued to the program. I continued to my, my senior thesis and all that stuff. Um, but I started to do a lot of research on like sales jobs, like software sales jobs, because I, I saw that as, you know, one of the highest paying jobs. And I just wanted to get, I wanted to dive into the business world, like um, very little business experience. I didn't even have a business degree. So I graduated with a bachelor's degree and then I started applying for software sales jobs and I got two interviews over the phone. I didn't even make it to an in-person interview. And both of those interviews went terrible. Like I didn't even know how to speak. I didn't know how to answer the questions. And like in, in the interview, I was going to tell the person interviewing me. Yeah. I probably didn't get the job. Right. Like I, that's how bad it went. And then, you know, they said, both of them sent me an email. Like we're going to go with different candidates. We're looking for, you know, more experience, at least some experience in, in, in communication. So then I, I told myself, you know what, I want to, I want this to never happen again. I never want to be in a situation where I can't even explain myself or I can't even elaborate or talk. So, you know, and I, and I wanted more experience on business. I didn't want anybody to tell me I didn't have enough experience in communicating with people a bit about business. So I decided to jump into an MBA program. I went to an MBA program while I was doing the MBA program. I wanted to get, you know, a lot of real world experience in business. So I started working at Allstate Insurance. I was in sales and marketing. I wanted to, everything I wanted to do at that point, after those two rejections I got, because they hurt so much, I wanted to do everything much bigger at that point. I wanted to solve my problems by doing, by making more money, by getting more education, by helping more people. I wanted to do things on a much greater scale at that point. And, and that's why I think that was a huge impact on my, my, on entrepreneurship. I never wanted to be turned on for anything. You know, I want to be the person qualifying people and not being qualified for other people. You know what I mean? So that kind of, at a young age, I'm thankful those, those two major rejections happened because had they didn't, let's just say I got the, one of those jobs, then I would probably have this mindset of I, I I'm qualified to work for people and I'll kind of stay in this qualified lane, but I didn't, I wasn't qualified at that time. And I wanted to, I wanted that never to happen again. You know, that's a interesting and hard thing to admit after the fact, I'm sure, is I wasn't qualified, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. looking back, I wasn't ready for, to prepare. I didn't have the experience. I couldn't communicate my experiences. And at the same time, uh, not getting those two opportunities, even though there's a couple things I'm thinking, not getting those two opportunities really pushed you. Like, it was mm-hmm. almost like a, a it, it, it stoked a fire in you that said, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know what? I, I don't want to be in this position again. So I'm going to do everything in my power mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm in a position to to be qualifying other folks, to be able to help and support other people, and to not have to be beholden to somebody else's opinion of me because I'm going to be at my best, which yeah. is which is really really cool. Uh, the, the second thing is just I'm, I'm this bigger. You wanted things bigger, and so yeah. if you can, I mean, so tell me what's your vision? What do you, what do you see for yourself in the future, and kind of what's your ultimate dream in this career? Yeah, I see my, I mean, being very transparent with you, I see myself becoming a billionaire. I want to become a billionaire. I want to help as many people as possible. What are my goals? I want to start a national not-for-profit organization that helps people with all their financial problems for free, whether somebody's going through foreclosure or eviction or bankruptcy or credit card debt or student loans, whatever situation they're in financially, the the national not-for-profit organization will be able to help them out. And we'll take our only source of revenue will be through donations. We won't charge customers anything. It'll be 100% for free with very professional help, 
all done virtually in all 50 states. That's my that's one of my goals that I have. And another goal is I want to grow my company greater. I want to be able to help more people. I want to even focus on uh, immigrant families, minorities in this country, and be able to um, you know help you know that that's they're usually you know they're they're a very un underserved market when it comes to financial planning. Usually, financial advisors and financial services professionals are dealing mostly on affluent clients. They want to deal with people who have money. But what about the people who want to become wealthy? You know, that's what I want to focus on. And yeah, and yeah, I want to you know. Um, every goal I have, I 10x every goal I have. So everything that I you know, want to do, I multiply it by 10 um, and, and even greater than that to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm always, I'm never going to settle for something lower. I never want to reach my actual goals. I always want to multiply them by 10 and then maybe end up with half of that always. That means you'll end up way ahead. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I just, I mean, what's great about this again, you know, you said, I want to be a billionaire, but you didn't say I want to be a billionaire so I can just be a billionaire. You want to yeah. be a billionaire so that you can help people. Absolutely. You help, and, you know, that a rising tide, you know, I guess raises all ships. You really want to help. And especially those underserved communities and folks who are, who are struggling to figure it out. I mm -hmm. can really hear your passion in that. And and I, I do believe that in you and that this is something that you will accomplish in your lifetime. And I'm, I'm excited to, to follow your journey along that way. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, Sari, there's a, a few things. One is, if people want to work with you directly, how can they get a hold of you? Also, if they can, if you can share your podcast information and any other contact information. Yeah, yeah thank you for that. So, um, the best way to reach me for a free 15 minute call, you can go to Fin Asset Protection. It's F I N AssetProtection.com. There, you could schedule a free 15 minute call. There's this button to schedule now. You can schedule there. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn through the website. You can connect with me on YouTube through the website. Um, and the name of the podcast is Thinking Like a Bank. You can also find that in the same website, finassetsprotection.com. Um, the podcast is up on all major platforms, including YouTube. So I guess the best way to reach me is finassetsprotection.com. Perfect. Direct, nice, and easy. Mm -hmm. Sari, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm going to put you on a hold here, and I appreciate your time again. Thank you for being with me. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening to the Best Worst Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Willewa. Music is produced by Josh One. You can follow him at BoomNote on Instagram and Twitter and Josh One on Spotify. Our episodes are edited by Cool Jets Audio and Vision. You can follow them at Cool Jets AV on Instagram. Our marketing is designed by Francesca Daniels. You can find her at FrankandKitty24 on Instagram. And our overall design is by Inspired Design with Ryan Daniels. You can find them at getinspired.design on Instagram. Thank you for listening to The Best Worst Thing. This one's for the good times and this one's for the bad. This one's for the day that was the best we ever had. This one's for my good friends and this one's for my foes. The ones who get up on your skin and do